Welcome to Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast, the source for in-depth discussion with leaders in the energy and utility industry. My name is Jason Price of West Monroe, and I'm coming to you from New York City. Joining me as always is Energy Central's community manager and podcast producer, Matt Chester. Matt, in this week's episode, we're checking in on two returning guests, celebrities, if you will, in the GIS space. Before we dig into today's topic, could you recap for our listeners what we discussed with our guests in the previous episode? Of course, Jason. Uh, we're so happy to welcome these two guests back. We had one of them on the show back in episode number 10, which took place in April 2020, with the episode entitled The Future of Circuits, GIS Transforming the Grid and COVID-19 Response. And the other guest joined us just two episodes after that in May of 2020 for the episode we called To Unlock the Modern Utility, GIS is King. Both of these episodes were definitely popular with the Energy Central community who seemingly can't get enough of GIS. So that's why we have them back with us again today. <laughs> well, fantastic. So today's episode, we'll be discussing the cutting edge solutions in the world of GIS and digital twins and exploring the intersection of some of these solutions. And there are surely no guests better suited to walk us through this topic, which is why we have invited Bill Meehan and Pat Hall back onto the Power Perspectives. Bill Mean is the Director of Electric Utility Solutions, Emeritus for ESRI, and he drives their geographic technology use in the global electric and gas utilities. Bill has been with ESRI for over 15 years and is a prolific writer in the field as regular readers of Energy Central will certainly recognize his name. Bill formerly was the Vice President of Electric Operations for a major East Coast power company, and he's author of several books. We also welcome back Pat Hall, ESRI's Director of Electric Industry Solutions. Pat oversees the planning and execution of ESRI's go-to-market strategies in the electric utility industry. He's a pioneer in the use of GIS for electric utilities and has over 35 years of progressive experience in engineering, technology, operations, and executive management. When he's not knee-deep in the latest GIS implementation, he can also be found regularly contributing to the Energy Central community. But before we formally bring them into the booth, we do want to recognize the important role of ESRI on this podcast on Energy Central and this upcoming episode. Headquartered in Redlands, California, ESRI is a leader in the field of geographic mapping technology and GIS. While they are also known to be an international supplier of geographic information systems and geodatabase management applications. The world of GIS and associated technologies is moving quickly and no doubt there are immense updates and exciting new possibilities that Pat and Bill can outline for us since last year when we last chatted. So let's dive into it. Pat and Bill, welcome once again to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. So let's dive in. Pat and Bill, welcome once again to Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks, uh, Jason. Yeah, it's great to be here and we appreciate everything that Energy Central has done for us. Fantastic. So, Pat and Bill, you're both utility people at heart, so I have to ask, how do you get into GIS? And let's start with Pat. I was a T&D engineer, and the utility that I worked for was embarking on a rather ambitious effort to modernize their maps and records function, and they needed someone to run with it. Since I rarely turned down a chance to do something new, I agreed to manage this project. And we converted mountains of paper maps to GIS. We developed applications 
and we rolled those out to the users. And as I learned about GIS, it was very eye-opening for me. It became a very powerful way to understand what we do in obvious ways and colorful displays. And I realized that everything a utility does has a location. Think about that for a minute. Assets, vehicles, customers, even bad weather. While they're all different, location matters to all of those things. And after I saw how GIS captures information by its location, I literally jumped in with both feet. I learned, I presented at conferences, I even wrote a couple of books. And that project sparked my fascination that continues to this day. Fantastic. Bill, would you like to take it next? Yeah, Pat and I have very similar backgrounds, but before I actually worked for a power company, I worked for an engineering consulting firm that was building power plants, big, big old power plants. And this was really before digital technology took place. And I, I had this old boss and he was a chain smoking, coffee drinking, swearing kind of guy, but he was really brilliant. And he said to me, hey, Bill, I heard, do you know anything about computers? And I was working just as a regular electrical engineer. And I said, well, yeah, I really like to work with computers. He says, we got to figure out how best to design power plants. And, and so he said, we have a real problem when we design power plants. There's all kinds of power cables and, and control cables and instrumentation cables. And what we have to do is take these big drawings of, of the plant layout and all these cable trays and conduits, and we need to, to, to tell the contractors where to route the cables, you know, where to put them in the, in the conduits and the cable trays. And, they, and they, everything was done manually. It, was a just, it, it, would, it took literally forever. So what, what he said, well, can you figure out how to automate that? And I, I took the challenge and I said, absolutely. So I had uh, expertise in what I would call this ancient programming language called Fortran. I don't even remember what, probably Pat knows what Fortran even stands for, formula translation, who knows. But anyway, I developed this, this optimization of cable routing. And, and so I did. And so we, did, we, we developed it and we got um, to use it. And many, many power plants back in the old days were designed using this, this routing algorithm. But the problem was that you still had to extract data from manual maps and records and drawings. And, and it was really tedious. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just take the data from these, these drawings and maps and layouts and automatically capture that data instead of having to, to take it from the maps and, and transpose it into my program. So I thought, wouldn't that be a great thing? And then later, as I, then I, when I joined the power company, I, uh, uh, this guy came to me, one of the young engineer, and he had kind of a similar problem, only in this case, it was how do I manage all these cables in, in the downtown sections of a big city? So I said, aha, why don't we create a, a project to do just that? Automate the maps and then take the data from the maps directly instead of having to transpose that information. So what, what that developed into was what is called now GIS. It was called something crazy called AMFM, Automated Mapping Facility Management. So this was really the early genesis of, of GIS. And, and once I did that, I really got into the passion of using the technology. Some people in the world of energy might consider GIS a dry topic, but it's clear from your enthusiasm, the stories you're telling that you find it to be anything but that. So you know, where does this passion for GIS come from? Dry? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Dry. I mean, it's, re it's really fascinating. One of, one of my passions in, in life is, is this notion of innovation and transformation. And I, uh, when I speak and I write, I like to think of how many things in this world have really changed 
our behavior, change things dramatically. And of course, you, you always think of the, the smartphones as, as really a, a change thing. And um, going from, say, a DVDs and, and VHS and DVDs to streaming video, it's like it changed, it really changes behavior. So I get passionate about using new technology and technology in general to make significant and dramatic changes in the way we think about things. And I think GIS is one of those, I like to call them a transformational technology. You know, again, in the, in kind of in the old days, when we first started to do GIS, people had this notion of, well, why don't we automate the making of maps? In other words, really a pain in the neck to, to make physical maps, you know, with paper and pencil and, and ink and mylar and all that kind of stuff. And some people just thought, well, wouldn't it be great just to automate the, the process of making maps? And I'm like, no, 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 that's really not it. That's really a, a transition. That doesn't really change the way people use the maps. Instead, using GIS in today's way can, can literally change the way people operate an electric system or a gas system or a water system or a telco system, because it, it, it just, it's kind of like when we use the iPhone, we, we now do things that we never would have done before. We never would have thought of using an, an iPhone as an encyclopedia or as a camera or as a music device. It was just a phone. Same thing with, with GIS. GIS isn't just about creating automated maps. It's about visualizing and analyzing things that we could never have done, be, we couldn't see before. It's like, holy smoke, look at what this thing is telling us. It's doing analytics in ways that we could never have done with old-fashioned maps. And that's why I get so passionate about it, because it's really about transformation, changing things, and always, it seems to me, changing things for the better. I would agree that drawing maps with a computer is pretty commonly understood. But I would say to anyone, if you think GIS is a been-there-done-that dry topic, you're a little bit behind. One thing that I find makes Esri very unique is that we pour a full one-third of revenue into research and development. And that research created some astounding new capabilities well beyond AMFM and automated mapping, which was cool in the day, but we've come so much further. Those new capabilities create very detailed models. As you said, they enable very sophisticated types of analytics and new ways to use and share the intelligence that comes as a result of that analysis. And these days, utilities are looking for answers. My passion comes from these new methods. We have mobile apps. We have all these other ways to use the information. And in doing so, stack the benefits on top of each other to help modernize what we do and make both utility work and the grid just that much smarter. I'd like to pivot to the topic of digital twins. So can you give our listeners your thoughts about digital twin and what exactly GIS has to do with it? And Pat, why don't we start with you? Sure. Digital twins are not a new thing. They have been around for years. And in utilities, we have various virtual representations of the real world. We've been talking about GIS. We use CAD a lot. We have simulations, various design environments. And these are often very specialized to different disciplines. Underground conduit design and protection coordination use completely different inputs, different models, if you will. And we use models that reflect all kinds of things like the environment and our physical assets. We can use them in 3D. We can add real-time feeds and even some external factors like, like the weather. And so by organizing these around location, 
GIS, while in itself it is a form of a digital twin, it's also an ideal framework to bring those various models together, each with their own special purpose, where they can be quickly and visually correlated and more easily understood. And that brings better decision-making to many utility workflows. Digital twins, I think, are extremely functional for both content and for context. I agree wholeheartedly uh, with that. One of the things that has frustrated me over the years working for an engineering company, a power company, and, and, and dealing with, with uh, many power companies working for ESRI is this concept of a silo. And, you know, what, and everybody knows what silos is in, in business. It's when, you know, almost like one hand doesn't know what the other hand, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And, and our world has been built on uh, silos. We've gone from, from manual and, you know, before the ages of computers, people had to break tasks up into little pockets and silos so that they could do them reasonably. And then when we automated those tasks, we automated those silos. And we've actually, in some ways, built barriers to, co to collaborating and cooperating. And I think what digital twin, the concept of digital twin is to really break those silos down. I mean, breaking them down. And, and technically, a, a digital twin is a virtual representation, really of three things. The physical world, the physical objects, like, you know, you could have a digital twin of a car or something like that, but also about relationships, how one thing relates to another, and then one of, and of behavior. And so, uh, in a way, what I think what Pat was also referring to is the GIS can help to facilitate the, the busting of silos. I would say that if anything can break down silos, it's GIS. They can break those silos down completely because we can almost think of, a, of GIS as a portal into many, many other portal into those silos because really the, the common thing of literally all of those silos is location. And what does GIS do? It, it, it deals with location. And so I would think that um, the digital twin, that GIS is really kind of the, the foundation of what a digital twin can be. When they talk about digital twins, sometimes they use the plural, digital twins, or the digital twin. Well, when you think of a, a big organization, you probably do have many little digital twins, but that in effect can be like a silo, but the GIS, because it has this commonality of location, can in fact be a, almost a portal into that organization. So it in effect becomes kind of a, an encompassing digital twin. Does that make sense? It does, Bill, and I wanna stay with you. So let's take it a step further, all right? So our, you know, Energy Central is basically serving the utility audience. So they're listening to you right now. And I want you to take it a little bit more out of the abstract with some practical examples. So, so give them a reason why they need to get on the train and value what Digital Twin and GIS has to offer. And then also give them some practical examples of, you know, basically how it's helping in the utilities. If you can sure. take it to the practical, that'd be great. Yeah, there, there are really four things that a utility management has to, to think about. First of all, you have to make money. You have to make customers happy, keep customers happy, and then you have to keep employees safe and motivated. And, and, the, and the fourth thing he used to like to say is you got to keep the utility out of trouble. And that's what keeps utilities operating really well. 
And what the digital twin does is it, first of all, is really works on efficiency, right? So if you're going to make money, you got to, you got to reduce costs and got to increase revenue. And how do you do that? Well, you, you, you reduce the number of steps. And when you have a bunch of silos and a bunch of people working in, in kind of cross purposes, that's expensive. And Pat and I know that going into the field and, and specifically trying to putting in a transformer or a switch or a valve and if you don't have the right information, you don't have the right data in front of you, you got to make a special trip back to the office. And, and let's say the power is out and, you, and you're wasting time, customers are very unhappy. Or if you're trying to trim trees in, in areas that customers really don't want that. I mean, that's gonna, it's going to make people unhappy, so your customer happy. Or if you don't have the right data in the right location, then you have safety issues. You have real problems with, with, with safety and you have accidents and that's, that's bad for everybody. And of course, if you drive a truck and you don't have the right location, you drive a truck over a vegetated wetland and then you're, in, you're on the front page of the, of the New York Times or the Boston Globe or, or the Washington Post. So therefore the digital twin helps to remove the barriers to making money and to, or to losing money or to making customers unhappy and safety and staying out of trouble. So that's really it. And, and I think of, um, I'm thinking of three particular utilities that have done sort of a super job of using this notion of GIS and digital twin. And, and one of them is in Dubai, actually, DIWA, which is the Dubai Electric and Water Authority. And, and they've really been so creative in modeling. Instead of thinking about maps, like physical maps, they, they model with their facilities. Ironically, what, what and you kind of think of the Middle East is, is, is really uh, investing heavily in fossil fuels, but DIWA is using the, the digital twin to, to look at solar and look at how they can really improve the environment. Uh, and they do a lot with that. And then in Florida, you have Lakeland Electric that they took all of their paper maps and just literally threw them away and said, we have got to improve our efficiency. And then you take a look at CoServe Electric in Texas. They, they took a whole new approach to their mapping. And they really focused on the people in the field, the, the workers who are in the substations and in, in the cities and streets and so forth and put everything that they had on a mobile device. So everything they do is, is on a mobile device. They could communicate with customers and, and, and the materials in the fields. So they've basically broken down those silos to be able to save money, to improve customer service, to keep employees safe, and literally to stay out of trouble. Well, Bill, I just want to come back to the silos for a minute. I used to work with an engineer named Steve. And when I would ask him about silos, he would get a halfway grin and he would say, yes, but they're silos of excellence. And he was being funny when he said that, but he was really revealing a couple of things there. Number one, there is a lot of excellent information in there. And two, they are really silos. And so I would say to add on what you said, in short, a digital twin helps utilities pull that information from its silos, use it together and make it available to people that need it. And this idea, it supports improvements all across the organization, as you mentioned. For example, engineering has detailed structural designs for every substation. There's the land, there's the fences, the walls, air conditioning, equipment, security cameras, everything. However, that's normally locked away in some CAD drawing that only a few employees can use. So imagine using those drawings in a virtual 3D environment to add value to things like training, to job planning, to safety awareness, and even answering customers' calls about that facility. But it doesn't stop there. Because you can add in real-time status and almost 
any data and do analysis within a digital twin, this becomes a, a perfect framework to integrate all kinds of information. The digital twins, the plural twins of the modern world and present them in convenient apps on any device to make them usable and improve our effectiveness. Even make predictions about what is likely to happen in the future. Big question here. Is there anything you guys don't agree on? Well, we have very similar backgrounds and experiences. Uh, I think Bill is probably more engaged in the pure engineering side, and I have a stronger connection to the field. And we usually agree on the details, but sometimes our emphasis is different. Bill loves music, and I know, uh, I think I know what your answer would be, Bill, but what, what is your what would your favorite rock and roll band of the 70s be? Well, there's, it, there's only one answer. And Pat, if you disagree with me, hey, I don't know. It's, it's got to be the Eagles. Come on. The harmonies, the music, it's the Eagles. No choice. No, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> the Eagles are great. I remember the first time I heard Hotel California, I thought to myself, wow, I didn't know music could be like this. But if you're going to pin me down, I'm going to disagree with you. Oh, come on. And <laughs> I'm going to go with Pink Floyd. Ah. Oh. For similar reasons. <laughs> well, both really, really great, uh, great bands and, uh, and, and continue. Uh, the music continues. People listen to it t today. Absolutely. Can't argue with that. Um, all right. Well, you guys have already kicked off the lightning round, which is where we get to learn a little bit more about you. So thank you for starting us off. Uh, the lightning round is basically an opportunity for each of you to give uh, one answer, one short answer or a brief explanation of what the response is. We're going to ask you a series of questions. Why don't we put some structure to it? How about uh, Pat, you start and then Bill, you follow, and then we'll go on to uh, each of the, each of the questions that follow. So you guys ready to get started? Ready. Got it. Okay. Best gift you've ever gotten. The best gift I've ever gotten. <laughs> My, when I was a young person, my mother gave me, she wanted to buy me a really awesome set of hiking boots. And I had those boots for a very, very long time. They took me on adventures all over the country. And I would have to say that's right up there. Well, for me, this is easy. My wife for Christmas gave me, and actually gave herself part of it, two tickets to the Eagles concert in Las Vegas. <laughs> All right. So, Pat, what's your comfort food? Comfort food. Well, I could really go a lot of different directions with that, but I'm going to go with the comfort food that I reached for today, and that was peanut butter pretzels. <laughs> well, this is not good for me, but my favorite comfort food is mac and cheese. Or actually, no, baked macaroni, which is different from mac and cheese. It's, it's the real mac and cheese my mother used to make. All right. How about this one? What's something that both of you don't know about each other? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Bill and I have talked about a lot of things over the years, but I don't think, Bill, that you know that uh, I am a certified advanced scuba diver. No. Let's see. Uh, I, what Pat doesn't know about me is that in uh, high school, I was a long distance runner on the track team, every single race, I came in last. I didn't know that. Probably because of the mac and cheese that I ate. <laughs> My mother used to make. This one's a tough one. What would be your dream job if it were not for working at Esri? That's not really that tough. I've actually 
been thinking about this. I almost got into aviation as a young person and my dream job would be helicopter pilot. Well, my dream job uh, would be, and, and I might do this, is, uh, is a fiction writer. I do love to write fiction. So I would, um, it's, it's somewhat related, but this would be uh, what I would do. And let's stay with you, Bill. What are you most optimistic about? Oh, I'm optimistic about how the world will solve its um, climate change uh, issues. I think, I think we're going to find that use the technology and some of it would be GIS actually, the, the technology and the wherewithal to, to turn this around. Yeah. Similar in, in concept to Bill's, but I'm just generally excited about young people and the fresh perspective that they bring to our society, that they bring to utilities and around this whole notion of customer service. Well, fantastic. And I know that our audience is going to appreciate these responses and it's great to learn a little bit more about each of you. Because you did so well, we'll give you the floor for the last question. And this goes to both of you. Where do you see GIS heading in the coming years from a digital twin perspective? Well, we're seeing a large push for infrastructure improvement. And I believe that we'll see integrated digital twins become the norm and quite frankly, just become expected. Think for a minute about shopping. All the packages on doorsteps in my neighborhood tell the story. It's so different than really just a few years ago. And now it's expected and it's normal. And so many things in our society are changing in that way. They're changing the way that we function. Information is being put to use and it makes many, many tasks easier and more efficient. Those packages I usually know when they're going to arrive and I get a notification when they do. And the use of data is being used to refine almost everything. Yet many utility processes, they're still being done in very much the same way that they were when I started with utilities in the 80s. And th that is changing. Utilities want in on the action. And if you look at their strategic goals, you'll see a reflection of that desire. Old information silos, they won't get us there. We do need ways to bring different kinds of data together, understand it, and get it immediately in the hands of people that can use it. That capability helps everyone, but none more than those that are entering the workforce now. If you think about digital natives, they grew up with technology. They played on an iPad when they were young, and they expect things to work this way. And so their training, their planning, their execution of their work it can now all be done with the aid of 3D visualization, or as Bill said, 4D, including time, real-time data, and instant collaboration. And that's why I'm optimistic about those entering the workforce. I think they're going to help propel us to embrace better ways of working. Well stated, Pat. I got, I'm going to go back to my one of my favorite expressions, which is transformation. And when I think of the digital twin, I think it offers the the really opportunity to see things in a in a different way. And you know, you know, I I love to use the example of the of the old fashioned typewriter. Remember the typewriter, and and you look at and and remember the levers. And and when um, you, you ask the question, well, why did they put the why did they put the A in that 
silly spot way the heck over in the on the left hand be struck by the the weakest finger in your hand. why do they do that that's crazy why would they anybody why would they invent something silly like that well because they were trying to slow typists down because the levers all uh, jammed up and so when we look at the keyboard we say well that's the way it has to be that that just is it's not that we want to change it's just that we we're so used to things we we've, we've become so used to certain things we've become so used to the silos that we don't we don't think of things in a different way GIS helps us to see things because it's not just about maps. It's about visualization and analytics to see things that we could probably have never, we really didn't notice before. It's like, it's, it's almost like I think of transformation. Somebody said, aha. I mean, Steve Jobs said, aha, why don't we do this? And I think GIS is going to help the millennials. It's going to help even the older people to, 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 to really innovate because we're going to see things that we could never see before. Uh, we, we used to have this commercial called See What Others Can't. And it's like opening up our eyes, peeling away the blindness to really change. And I think GIS, and we think of, it's got two components, at least, of the, of the transformation. It's about technology, for sure, and about behavior. And I believe GIS can be configured to change behavior for the better. And then when you think of the digital twin, because we're collapsing these silos, think about all these silos falling over and GIS is helping us to do that. So we can figure the technology to change behavior. It's not enough just to have the technology, but we have to configure it to change behavior for the better. And that's, I think, the future of GIS. Solid words. Absolutely. So Bill, Pat, it's been terrific to have you both on the podcast for a second go around. You guys make a great tag team. We're thrilled to have you on the show and hopefully we can do this again, say another year from now or even, even sooner. Well, thanks a lot for this opportunity. We want to thank Energy Central and certainly thank Esri for allowing us to do this and, and allowing us to, to really do what we're really passionate about. And I think that's a true gift is when you're working at something you really believe in. So thanks again. Absolutely. Sure thing. It's been fun. And Bill and I, we always enjoy working with the Energy Central team. Beautiful. You can always reach Pat Hall and Bill Meehan through the Energy Central platform where they welcome your questions and comments. And on behalf of the entire Energy Central team, thanks to everyone for listening today. Once again, I'm Jason Price. The most relevant conversations of the utility industry today are happening in the Energy Central community. So we look forward to you joining us and sharing your insight at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time on Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast.